Are you struggling to create engaging content for your B2B brand? Let Podcast Town help. Our expert services will help you develop a successful content marketing strategy, making your brand stand out and increase revenue. With our guidance, you'll create quality content that resonates with your audience and builds brand loyalty. Visit our website at podcasttown.net to learn more and to get started today. We help you launch, grow, and maximize. What's up, enterprisers? Welcome to another episode of the Enterprise Now podcast, where we shape the mindset of the high achiever to think like an entrepreneur. We talk with masters of the craft to get the cheat codes to success, helping elite enterprisers level up and maximize their brand. I'm your host, LZ, the mayor. Now let's get to it. Cool, Britt. First of all, thank you so much for joining us in 3D. Thank you for having me. Yeah, because we could have done it virtual, but you were willing to come into the studio to sit down. So I appreciate that. Oh, yeah. This is different than my everyday life. It's it's cool to be in the production world. Yeah, yeah. So before we get started with all of the, the good stuff, the, the beginnings and what got you into being an entrepreneur, can I get an oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So, Gino, me. Now, I understand just because I, I know you a little bit. We've talked in the past. You have some experience in corporate and then something happened and then you're not there anymore. So tell us about that journey. Yeah. Yeah. So I've always been a, a person that loves to solve problems, especially when it comes to uh, solving people problems, because I think some of those are the most complex and some of those are the most interesting. And so I went to UW-Milwaukee. I'm from Milwaukee. So UWM alumni. Uh, I got my bachelor's in psychology, general psych. Ended up going to Elmhurst University in the Chicagoland area to get my dual master's in business administration and industrial organizational psychology. During that time, I had worked ever since I was 15 in a bunch of different industries, right? Anything from working at a Wauwatosa City Hall to, you know, doing manual labor tasks at Veolia Water. So from that point onward, I was always just interested in learning as much as I could because I feel like all skills were applicable no matter what industry I was in. You can use them no matter what field you go into. So in any case, Management consulting was a, a natural fit for me because I liked being able to come in and solve problems with, you know, different types of different types of ideas. It gave me the opportunity to be novel in my solutions. And so after I got out of grad school, I got the dream job, or so I thought, with a firm out of Madison, Wisconsin. So I ended up moving there and I worked with companies in insurance, healthcare and finance, some of these really big industries, very corporate, that, you know, every day you'd see opportunities for improvement. And so that was always sticking out at me. You know, and so I did that and, you know, I wasn't really in love with it for a while. I felt like I wanted to be able to be more creative, but the pay was good. It was a steady job. And that's kind of the thing that you're taught growing up, right? Like you, you stay at, at a position that maybe you don't like the best, but if the pay's good, it's security, right? And so I was kind of in that mindset until the pandemic hit. And I think everybody was, I think everybody who's in the professional world uh, was shook to their core is like, okay, what am I doing now? Is this something that I really want to do with my life? And so I had that realization and I realized I wasn't doing everything that I wanted to. I didn't feel like I was living up to my potential. So I went ahead and started my first business, which is a management consulting firm. And it was to help organizations navigate the remote work transition. 
And it was primarily in the industries that I knew about, which were insurance, healthcare, finance. And so I did that for a while. A lot of these other bigger firms like, you know, McKinsey were starting to produce content at a rapid rate to help organizations with this and programs and whatnot. So, you know, me being one person and also having like another employee is like, we can't keep up with this. We need to figure out how to do something more sustainable. And it was a very humbling experience because when I started my first business, I never thought about the fact that I might fail. And so that was a hard realization too, because I was like, okay, I really like working for myself. I have to find something that's going to be more sustainable. It's going to keep the lights on, maybe solving bigger problems, something more complex. And so it was at that time, about a year into the business that started having conversations with my advisors, my clients. And I'm like, okay, you all are closest to the problems. What do you want to see solved? And so with um, the pandemic, there had been a huge issue around data accessibility, not just in you know insurance with different types of documents, uh, but also healthcare, different types of records, right? Uh, and so long story short, talked to my clients and advisors, went back to the drawing board a million times, tried to find a model that was going to be novel, interesting, but that could also work. And so we landed on Genome, which is... which. In a nutshell, we link electronic health records with genetic reports, and we make those, we de-identify those and make those available for purchase for researchers in state-of-the-art institutions like Mayo Clinic, Freighter Medical College of Wisconsin. We actually compensate people for access to their data. And what changed, I guess, like what is so different about our model, and it really changes the way that people look at data transparencies, the fact that we loop in the consumer. And so that was the cornerstone of, of our business model, setting it apart. And I went and pitched it to an investor. <laughs> and that investor actually ended up being Dana Guthrie out of Gateway Capital. And I didn't know if it was going to work. I was like, okay, we'll see what happens. She was ready to invest. And so we went forward with the Genome idea, um, You know, closed down the other section of the business and fully rebranded Genome. There's so much. I'm going to have to try to keep my entrepreneurial brain intact here. I want to go back to your corporate days because I think it's important as you think about entrepreneurship just as a craft. I think it's important to two things for us to be able to identify problems and in identifying solutions to those problems. Right. So talk a little bit about as you're consulting at the management level, especially what would you say were the, was always the biggest issue? Was it the technology? Was it the people? Was it the mindset? What was the thing that you could identify and say, if I could solve this at, in an organization, that would get us from A to, to Z? I think that there is a preoccupation in organizations with people mixing up the meaning of the word busy and the word productive. And a lot of times when I'd work with different teams, whether that's on process improvement, change management, for some of the specialties that I worked with, a lot of times we're looking at different processes that people do every day that require work to get done in one department and going to the other. And they weren't doing what was essential to make that happen. And so when you have a lot of that noise or the busyness without the productivity piece of it, I think that creates problems in a lot of different areas. So it's not just one, right? It's not just with people because, for example, people get frustrated when they're not being communicated to effectively or they don't know what exactly they're supposed to be doing or maybe a different department is already doing what they're doing. So we're creating waste and we're creating rework. But then there's also the side of it where it's like, okay, that's the people side. But looking at it from you know the work side, the operations side, you end up having a lot of 
problems when it comes to, you know, figuring out, okay, well, well, did this task get done? Who is in charge of making sure that these tasks get done? Who's responsible for it? How do we communicate that back to the right stakeholders? So, I mean, taking it back, it's like looking at busyness and productivity, they're not one and the same. And a lot of times I feel like bigger organizations, at least in my experience, could confuse that. But that's not just a just an issue with large organizations. It can happen in organizations at every size from startup to to conglomerates, right? For sure. Why why do you think that is? Do you think that there's just misalignment in terms of what are the most important things? Or do you think it's more of a communication between leadership and the hands and the, the boots on the ground? Absolutely. I think it's a it is definitely an issue with the communication and understanding what problems people are trying to solve. So an organization, typically, you know, you have your core values, you have generally like what everybody's on the same page about what the mission, what the vision, what the goal is. But the way that people interpret that can be very different based on what their function is at an organization. And so I think it's it makes sense to be very clear and concise, not just with planning, but understanding like how just in one department, how does that translate back into the mission, vision, goal, strategic plan objectives for the quarter, the year, the next three years. And I think a lot of times it's easy for people to get kind of bogged down in the weeds just looking at their one piece and how to get how they're going to get that work done to get to the different department when they should be looking at this process as, you know, from an end to end solution, not just the one piece that I'm involved in, in, I guess, the assembly line. Yeah, it's almost like you're reading my notes, because that was going to be my very <laughs> next question is like, how do you get people to begin to think outside of themselves, right? Not only what they need to do, but upstream, downstream and, and across stream. Yeah, I mean, to me, it makes sense that even though you might not be essential to every piece of a process. I like to equate task completion or feature shipped, whatever it's going to be at your organization to like, look at Henry Ford when he created the model of the assembly line. And the reason that works so well is because it's effective because you can see, okay, one department is doing one thing, they hand it off and, and the next department does the other thing. But in order to make sure that those handoffs happen in the way that makes it so it's productive and efficient, you have to understand what you're creating from end to end, whether that's a product or a service, you have to understand what your role is in the entire picture, right? And I think a lot of times uh, organizations don't focus on educating um, departments on what other departments do. And it's not just enough to sit them down and show them a picture and lecture at them. The org chart. And right. The, it's <laughs> like the, exactly. It's like they need to experience interaction with different teams, different departments, have conversations, look at the way that the work gets done in different areas and figure out how that translates back to them. Because then when you're thinking about it from from that like a thousand foot view, or you're looking at it holistically, I think that gives employees a, a better idea of how they fit into the process. Also, it gives them a sense of purpose, where it's not just like they're creating a widget, and then it's going to the next department, they have no idea what happens after that. So it's like figuring out how you're critical to other departments and figuring out how other departments are critical to you and how you guys fit into the big picture. Mm -hmm. I, I would say that is a, a very entrepreneurial way to think. And I think that if more organizations had team members, I don't like to call them employees, that thought that way, it would revolutionize the the entire um, world because now you have people who understand their value. They understand how their actions affect others and they're working toward a common goal. With that, talk through, we're, we're talking about entrepreneurship and Gino Me. 
Do you have a framework for how you are identifying problems, coming up with solutions? And then the basics of entrepreneurship is you find a problem, you find a solution, then you have to find funding for the solution. Then you have to find the team that can execute the solution, right? So what does that look like for you? So I'm going to talk a little bit about like my background with industrial organizational psychology. Because when I say those words, most people don't know what that is. People know what an MBA is, right? And it's like getting your master's in, in business administration is pretty common. But industrial organizational psychology is a study of groups or sorry, is a study of behaviors in individuals in group settings. And so some of the most common group settings that we have are organizations, right? Or, you know, you're working in teams with other people in different departments. And so when you understand how people work and how they can be most efficient with one another in a group setting, that is something that is applicable, not just to one area of the organization, but it's applicable to many facets in life, right? Because, I mean, it, it, it's applicable to team sports, right? It's applicable to, you know, clubs and whatnot, working together to have to solve a problem. So I would say, like, the framework that I, I usually pull upon is from my experience in dealing with different types of personalities, skill sets, strengths, and weaknesses in, in other teams. And so you come back to looking at an organization, how work gets done. There are a lot of different models that I feel like people can employ one of them, I think a lot of times, especially if you're strapped for cash, people will shell out money for contractors, right? And that's all fine and well if that's what works best for your budget. But I'm of the mindset that I would much rather shell out the money to have an individual become a member of the organization and start to focus on the framework of culture and building it out that way. Because when you start to understand how people can work at a granular level, their strengths, weaknesses, their personality, that's how you can start to find other members that can work well with that individual and continue to build out the culture and morale in a way that is fitted for whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. And culture, morale, team dynamics, they go hand in hand with productivity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um so raising capital, talk about that a little bit. We know you probably would be able to regurgitate the numbers better than me, but founders that look like us don't get a ton of funding. Talk about that process, some of the challenges and some of the ways that you approach to getting funding for Genome. I think that first and foremost, it really helped to have a corporate background because I understood, you know, when you're, I was working as a management consultant, I was dealing with a lot of different projects and some of these were high budget projects. And so you understand how the, I guess, the politics works when it comes to people that are in charge of, of the checkbook and organizations and how exactly to frame business cases and use cases in a way that you can get resources that you need to be able to carry out a project. And that is the same kind of mindset that I carried over when I was going and, and, and looking for capital. I was looking for, first and foremost, I was looking for individuals that were going to care about what I was doing and me as a founder and a person, you know, I didn't want to just be another statistic on a venture capital log, right? Or a venture capital portfolio, which is one of the reasons that I specifically reached out to Dana because I knew that what Gateway Capital has been building and what we've been so proud to be part of as part of the portfolio is that they're looking for founders that are dedicated and passionate that also, that also have a really keen business acumen. 
And so also being a, a woman of color and then also like seeing that there's another woman of color that is leading a fund, that to me shows there's relatability and she's going to care about a lot of the things, my concerns and problems that maybe other people that couldn't relate to those issues would care about. And so uh, I think like right off the bat, Dana and I had a really good relationship. Of course, that wasn't what got me the funding. What got me the funding was the business idea and the way that we're able to put together a deck, show how the returns are going to happen year over year, financially, how we're going to execute on our go-to-market strategy, things like that, what, what problem we're solving, what's the solution. And so with Dana, it was, it was a very easy and welcoming experience. And I mean that in the best way. With some of the other investors after Dana was in, we had a few angels come in as well. So our seed round, we rounded out at 500000 and that was at the end of 2021. So the last year and a half has been dedicated to producing like our beta, our MVP, and raising additional capital. So through that year and a half time span, we've been able to go on to open a seed two round for $3.25 million, and we've been able to get more investors into the pot over that last year and a half span. But we wouldn't have gotten to that point if we didn't have Dana Dana coming in initially and really like backing us and providing us with the capital to produce the platform that we have today. That's awesome. So we talked about finding the problem. We talked about the team, which is you and, and your team. We talked about the funding. What problem does Genomi solve? Like, what's the problem we're solving and what sets us apart? So that's a great question because what I'm finding as we continue to, like, talk to our customers because the platform is, like, we do have our B2C side, which is our contributors. And so those are the people that give us access to their data and are compensated for access to their data. And then we have our B2B side, and those are research organizations. So anything from, like, clinics to pharmaceutical companies, um, biobanks, academic research facilities, and so, actually, the problem that Genomi solves is dependent upon the organization because what we're doing is it's not just an end-to-end solution that provides um, a certain market with different types of health information, but it also gives them the ability to conduct different types of research, whether that is recruiting patients for clinical trials, and that's the main goal, right? Because you can opt into clinical trials as a contributor, or you're just looking for data to compare and validate for longitudinal or observational studies that you're conducting as an academic researcher. Um, So we provide an easy way to do that. Uh, We also provide records to be, our records are updated and they're very accurate. And it happens with a refresh period of over 24 hours. So a lot of times when researchers are looking at the different types of data that they're able to get, a lot of times it's hard to get in the file format that they want. It's hard to get all of the comprehensive data that they would need on an individual or a population to study. And we eliminate that issue because we are linking multiple types of data in our system and providing it all to them in real time with the ability to refresh the records. And then, you know, there is no transferring of systems. It's all in... It's all just in the Genome platform. So if there's any data that you want to access or look at comparatively with your own data, you know, we have it basically built all in one place. And so I guess that would be the biggest problem that we'd be solving for for the B2B side. And for the B2C side, our contributors, I mean, we are tackling the the big hairy elephant of data transparency because a lot of times it's gotten a bad rap because of the way that the business is conducted, where you know it's just these large institutions that are stockpiling data on individuals and selling it to other organizations, right? 
that's not what we want to do. We want to be as transparent as possible and loop in people whose data it is that is lucrative that is being sold. So on that side of it, we're being transparent about where the data is going, being transparent about, okay, which data you're sharing and where you're able to share it. And we're also you know, giving them the ability to make a little back based on the fact that it's like, you know, your data is being sold. You should be getting something for it. Yeah. Yeah. That's an innovative idea, right? When you think of other platforms that um, are aggregating and collecting, compiling and selling data, the users don't get to share in that. And Nobody that wants to give out more pie than they need to, right? But it's part of and it's and it's really hard for a lot of organizations that have built up these data troves and that was not part of their business model because it's like, okay, if these are our returns that we're making year over year, we're gonna start shelling out millions to people that that's gonna cut into our bottom line, our bonuses. We at Genome build that into our model because why wouldn't everybody get paid if they're if everybody is contributing, right? Which is a very strong competitive advantage, right? Because it's like, so I'm, my question for you is though, how do you, in terms of the B2C, the contributors, how do you encourage people to, to sign up for Genome? Why should people sign up? Yeah. So, I mean, where our platform is right now, we've still, we're still in the early adopter phase. And the, a lot of the signups have been through friends and family right away. But as of right now, we are still building out different types of referral and incentive programs that will continue to be rolled out for the rest of the year. For example, being able to create an account, link your health record, link your genetic information, also be able to purchase a genetic kit through our site if you don't have one through our affiliate partnership with sequencing.com. And through those methods, being able to compensate them for each completion of connecting a record or I guess the module, if you look at the contributor profile. And so a lot of that is through different monetary incentives currently. And so it's been really exciting to get feedback from our contributor population as we continue to grow it and roll out these, roll out these programs just because this is where we're starting. But as we all know, as entrepreneurs, it's a very iterative process as you grow the business. And so it'll be interesting to see where we're at in a year from now. <laughs> yeah. Talk, talk about some of the challenges that you've had as you're, you're building this out, right? So this isn't something that came in a box and you opened it and said, Here, here's what we're working with. This is something that you've built from nothing. So what were some of the challenges that you've, you faced during this process? So I have a background working with technical teams and primarily insurance. So Lean Six Sigma background, also as a scrum master, we use agile scrum practices within our organization. And the other thing I want to just mention is that because what we have built here is so technologically complex, we wouldn't have really any fast follows. Because to get to a point where we have our MVP a year and a half in, there are a lot of technical barriers that organizations that don't have the resources would face. And so the fact that we have the resources and we know that if an organization was to create something similar, they would have to, they would have to be a heavy hitter. That, that keeps us pretty secure also in our competitive advantage. I have had the amazing privilege to work with some of the most brilliant software uh, engineers that I've ever had the pleasure of working with. And when we talk about Genome, I cannot talk about that platform without mentioning our lead full stack engineer, Sean Bogan, because he, along with the rest of the team, has continued to uh, model, craft, and architect exactly what we've built today and continue to build upon. I've had the fantastic opportunity to bring on a, my CTO head of product, Sean Belling, who also has really in-depth knowledge and experience working with agile scrum practices and different types of technical teams to be able to provide that sense of direction. 
what we all have been able to build. It's been a very unique experience, but it also is something that, based on the background of my team, they come from organizations like Life Sciences, Johnson Controls, Avionics, Catalyze, Health iPass, some of these digital health companies too, that all that knowledge is specialty that they bring in terms of building the product. And so it wouldn't be as easy as just going out and finding a software developer that can just come in and, and, and do something like this. I mean, there's a highly specialized team, highly, highly intelligent individuals that have come together to create this product. Yeah. Which is it not to you? Because a, a lot of the, the process is finding the right team and dispatching them and organizing it in a way that's effective, right? So what are some tips and tricks? You've effectively done this. Like we're here, it's up and running and growing. If I'm a founder, I'm just starting. What's your number one tip? The number one tip is start, do it. Because I talk to a lot of, I, I talk to a lot of like entrepreneurs where it's like they have an idea, they are really hesitant about trying to make any leaps forwards with it. And you can always say what if, but at some point you have to just be able to take that step. And I know that I'm not trying to trivialize the thought process around that there, but I mean, that really is the first, the first step because once you start getting out of your comfort zone, you start asking people that you trust and value about, oh, hey, can you weigh in on this? Do you know anybody that I could talk to to be able to weigh in on this idea and maybe help me out with it? You'd be surprised uh, just how many people jump to the chance to really help you to build something potentially amazing. And that's exactly how we started with Genome Me because it was like, I don't have a background in biology, right? I, I didn't go for pre-med. I didn't go to <laughs> for chemistry, none of that. Uh, but I was able to rely on my networks to help me figure out how exactly we need to build this solution to fit a problem that we're, we're trying to solve. So I would say that's a big one. The other thing, the other tip I would say is like, do not underestimate the value of your own time. Because a lot of times people will say yes to everything, spread themselves super thin. And when you're spreading yourselves out wide, you can't spread yourself out far. So you end up impeding on your own progress. And I would say you need to be ruthless when it comes to figuring out what's a priority to you. Because just because something's a priority to one of your team members or maybe a family member or a friend, you have to ask yourself at the end of the day, how is that going to get me to the, to the next milestone? And another one I will say is you have to be prepared to sacrifice because I can tell you about so many times where my friends are like, yeah, let's go. We're going to go to this party. It's going to be so much fun. Like, let's go to this concert. And I'm like, no, like I'm basically on call to make sure that this deploy goes smoothly and I have to be here to make sure that everything rolls out right. Or it's like, no, I have to stay up and I have to craft this contract to make sure that, and I have to read through it to make sure that everything is sound so that we, we don't get any, any legal trouble. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's a huge sacrifice when it comes to, you know, figuring out what those priorities are in, in your life too. But I will say when you find that sweet spot around how to be productive, how to manage your time, and then also making some time to live your life, it's a really good feeling. You get this, this kind of kumbaya feeling about everything going on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's the number one don't? There's going to be a lot of critics out there. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to laugh in your face and tell you that what you're doing is not worth your time, your energy, your effort. But at the end of the day, you need to be the one that can say to yourself, I believe it's worth my effort and my time and I'm confident in what I'm doing. You have to be open to feedback, but that doesn't mean that you have to completely derail your dreams because someone else said, oh, well, that's dumb. Why would you do that? That'll never work. Why would you do that? 
And I mean, I can tell you about all of, <laughs> we hear about the success that I had with my investments, but I don't talk about the 30 VC firms that I met with that didn't want to invest because they said those exact same things. This will never work. This won't happen. You can't do this. Why do you think that your model is going to work differently than all these other organizations that have tried it? And at the end of the day, it's just noise. And you have to be able to separate that from what is valuable and understand what your worth is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you're Milwaukee born, born and raised. What's so special about Milwaukee? Why do you love it? Oh, man, this is such an eclectic city. I love all of the people that are here, the mix, you know, it's really, it's really diverse. And I know that, you know, you look at different neighborhoods and historically Milwaukee has been one of the most segregated cities in the U.S., but The thing is, when I was a kid, you know, whenever I go to school, I would always see people that look different than me. And I loved that. It was like it normalized being something that wasn't status quo. And I think Milwaukee reinforces that for me, at least, because, yeah, being a person of color and and being somebody who's mixed, it's it's really difficult to find communities where, you know, people accept you for being you. And that was never a problem here in Milwaukee. There are some cities that I've been to that have, have really reinforced and embraced people being themselves, no matter what they look like. And I, I'm happy to say that Milwaukee has been one of those for me. Also, the food here is fantastic. I mean, you can get anything that you want. I don't want to shout out any any restaurants, but I will say the Mexican food here is absolutely phenomenal. Got it. Got it. <laughs> so I miss it when I leave. <laughs> What's your favorite festival that happens in during festival season? Oh, I'm a big tune head. And tune head is somebody who loves music. Okay. I don't know if that's a real thing, but I just pointed it out. <laughs> it is now. Um, it is now. There we go. I'm going to write it down. I'll give you credit for the first few times. <laughs> <laughs> and I love Summerfest. I love the music festivals that happen around around Milwaukee. And even just, you know, the pop-up shows that happen here. I frequent Cactus Club. I'll go to Shank Hall. Sometimes I'll, if I'm feeling feeling a little wild to go to the rave, but for the most part, yeah, I love the music scene here. Uh, it's fantastic. Would this interview be over if I told you that I have never been to Summerfest? No, that's okay. I'm already here. I might go. <laughs> we can continue. And, and I don't know why. I have no good answer or reason why I haven't been. I just, we've been here for six, 16 years and I have never been to Summerfest. Wow. Well, I mean, you can't go now. And I'm literally a musician. <laughs> like, literally i've never been to Summerfest. you can't you can't break it you gotta you gotta keep the tradition going you can't go to Summerfest. but i will say like some of the acts here in milwaukee that that come through are are absolutely fantastic so you're not missing i don't feel like you're missing out if you're going to some of the shows generally got it okay okay maybe that that'll be my saving grace what's next then the next six months what are you excited about looking forward to oh revenue generation I mean, it's Revenue been, is good. It's Revenue been a long good. time coming. Yeah, it's been a long time coming with the pro- with uh, the process and again the platform to where we wanted it to be. Um, so I, I'm very excited to uh, tackle a different set of problems that come with client asks. And I love engaging with clients because when you're able to solve a problem that makes their day, that makes everything more special, uh, more special. And so, yeah, RevGen ties into client clientele. But I'm looking forward to to growing the business. And I'm looking forward to doing that with my current team and just continuing to continue to move forward that way. Got it. So I take you as a person who is really good on, on their feet. So I'll flip the script here and ask you, what question do you have for me? So if you're a music person, what would you say is your favorite song right now? Who's a buy and why? That is a great question. My favorite song right now, I would have to say, and only because I'm preparing for um, an engagement, 
Bruno Mars, just the way you are. Oh. It's my favorite because it's a really cool, empowering song yeah. that, I don't know, it's just something about the vibe of it and the intent that's really cool to me. I'm speaking at a women's event and naturally the women in my life, my mom, mm -hmm. my grandma, my sisters, my wife have been an integral part of who I am and where we're going. And so, yeah, so that's right now that's what I'm playing, listening to. Yeah. Number one, because I need to practice and get ready, <laughs> but just because it, it really is an empowering song and I love the process of preparation and then seeing the looks on the, the women's faces when we were singing together and we're vibing and we're dancing and we're feeling empowered and excited. <laughs> it gives me goosebumps when I can see it and then to, to actually be able to do it. It's, it's really cool. It's a cool yeah. process. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. Love Bruno Mars. <laughs> My daughter, she's 16. She likes Bruno Mars because she thinks he's cute. <laughs> and then I was teasing her. I was like, you know, he's really little, right? And she's like, well, how little? I said, I think he's about 5'4". She's like, no way. So she Googles it and she says, oh, because <laughs> he's 5'4". It's like, yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. Well, okay, he is really little. I remember I saw Bruno Mars and Janelle Monet in Milwaukee before they blew up. And this was a Hooligans in Wonderland tour. And this was actually at the Rave. And I was in high school. So we're not going to say what year that was. But when I saw them, I mean, Bruno Mars, he's beautiful, man. Totally beautiful in person. But I was just floored by the musical talent just from both artists. You know, Janelle Monae is also a great, a great artist and one of my favorites. But yeah, he is so talented. And so, yeah, I, I think your daughter's got good taste. Yeah. No, the, just the creativity. I look at some of these well-known artists and I think people don't appreciate how good they are, how great they are, what they do, like the art of being able to to play an instrument, yeah. to move people through emotion and through songs and through, through lyrics. It's just an amazing, amazing talent. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if people want to reach out to you, learn more about Gino Me, or to just say hello, or to send you their favorite music picks, how can yeah. they do that? Yeah, well, I mean, you can, if you are interested in becoming a contributor, joining the contributor community, you can check us out at www.yourgino.me. And if you want to get in contact with me directly, you can find me on LinkedIn. Very simple to find me. You can go ahead and just search my name, Britt Gottschalk. Or you can contact me via email. So Britt at yourgino.me. And I'm always looking for new music to listen to. I'm always looking for different artists to check out. So if you have some really great recommendations, please email me. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Britt. Thank you. If you got value from today's show, we want you to join the Enterprises Elite email list for more nuggets and resources. And remember, no excuses, just execution. Go get it. What a fantastic episode. Hey, listen, I want to know something. What is the top concern that you have in your business? Is it sales? Is it marketing? Is it finance? Operations? Shoot me an email, mayor at podcasttown.net. I want to start a conversation around these areas of business and how we can work together and help each other shine even brighter.